0: Good morning. Uh, My name is Hojen. I am one of the staff members here at our church. And today I have the privilege of preaching the Word of God. And uh, just as Dan, our worship leader, mentioned, and um, I believe Danny mentioned, we're going through a series in in Advent. And Advent means coming. It's from the Latin word Adventus, the coming. So it's thinking about Jesus' first coming and also reflecting on Jesus' second coming. And uh, as you can see up here, or maybe you can't see um there's a wreath i took a picture of it so all of you can see uh there's a wreath <laughs> come on consider it uh, there's a wreath up here and there's four candles on the outside and one in the middle the middle one will be lit on on christmas uh sunday uh that's the christ candle and each of the candles on the outside represents something different about this season and uh primarily we're gonna approach this sermon series by reflecting on uh, what these candles represent, and how they are expressed through Scripture, through the person of Jesus. And today, partially because I'm a pyro, I'm going to light this candle. And this first candle is the candle of hope. It's hard to believe that it's Chris, uh, like December already. Yesterday, we kind of got a hint, it snowed, it was like first day of December, and we all got warm fuzzies, and we're really excited for Christmas. Um, we go around, we see Christmas decorations, Christmas lights, where some of us have started to shop for Christmas gifts. Um, but this world is still broken. We, we cover it up with all these external things. And I don't know what it was. Maybe it was because I was preaching But God was showing me all these signs of brokenness in this world. I reflected on um, Eugene's sermon last week on generosity, and something that he said that really stuck in me was that the, the church in America has the power to eradicate hunger, poverty, the problem with water, but it's still not taken care of. Even the church is broken. Yesterday, I was at Starbucks, I was preparing for this, and you know I was trying to focus, I was trying to love God and worship him and this this child walks into Starbucks um, he, couldn't be, he couldn't have been any older than um, Pastor Eugene's eldest son, maybe nine, ten years old, he, he had uh, in his fist some candy canes, and they were nicely decorated. they had like pipe cleaners and like you know, it looked like reindeer, and I was, and he was asking people if they wanted to buy one. Uh, most people, you know, they declined, and but I saw this kid. He, every time he got rejected, he was like mumbling something, going to the next person, mumbling something. He got to me. He said, "Oh, would you buy, like to buy a, a candy cane?" And I said, "Oh, no, thank you." And this kid, this kid, <laughs> he what he said hopefully there's no kids earmuffs right what the f is that you douche and walked away he goes on to the next person is a girl and he asks if they want a candy cane and she says no and then i don't know what he's thinking he turns around he's like it's not my problem that you're fat and he keeps going on and if that wasn't enough sign of brokenness in this world after he leaves the adults in Starbucks are saying, "Oh, that kid was probably funding his mom's drug problem." <laughs> you know, like Christmas. We want to believe that it makes a difference, like it, it changes us from the inside. But what it does is covers up what's what is on the inside. And in this in, in this type of situation is the, is where we as believers have to remember the real reason, the real purpose of Christmas. That it's Jesus Christ who comes into this broken world, and that's what he did over 2,000 years ago. So today, we're going to reflect on hope. How does Jesus give hope to us? How does Jesus give hope to that kid that I half debated how much trouble I will get in if I just, you know. (laughs) I really thought that. But... God was doing a work in me too because I, I, really, I really had to fight and I prayed for him. I prayed for the adults in, in Starbucks. And, you know, maybe it's because God wanted to show me these specific situations where he wants to enter in with Jesus to redeem it, to heal it, to restore it to the way that he wants it to be. So today's passage is Isaiah 11. It's an Old Testament passage. It's prophetic literature, Isaiah 11. And we're going to read from verse 1. To ten, verse one to ten. And as you read this, think about that question: How does Jesus give us hope today? Isaiah eleven, verse one: There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This spirit, the spirit of wisdom. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. What is going on here? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the lion, and the and calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall, shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox." The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the word of God. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, we really do come before you, and um, as as much as we want to believe that putting up a Christmas tree makes our lives inherently better, as much as we want to get excited for holiday drinks and treats, we know that they're just for a moment. They're not going to matter for eternity. So Lord, as we go into this Advent series, give us a, a reminder, or for some of us here who don't know you, a declaration of who you are and what you give to us through your Son, Jesus. We come to you with empty hands. We need you to reveal yourself to us. And Lord, I pray that you would use my feeble and limited words so that you can speak to every individual here in a very personal way. Lord, we really do depend on you. We need you. And we ask that we will get a glimpse of that living hope that is promised that we can experience today. Lord, we thank you so much. We depend on you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the context in uh, this chapter is Isaiah. Isaiah writes this approximately 700 years before Jesus even comes to earth. So how does this prophet talk about Jesus when he hasn't even seen him. At least for us, we have the entire scriptures to see, oh, Isaiah 11 and the gospels, they're connected. But Isaiah is receiving this from God and writing this down in faith. The situation that Isaiah is dealing with is, he's in the southern kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. And this kingdom is supposed to be a good kingdom. It's supposed to be blessed by God All the kings are descendants of King David and they're supposed to rule and reign in a way that gives glory to God and helps the people trust in him. When Isaiah is writing this, the king at the time is Ahaz and King Ahaz, he's not being very faithful. Ahaz is being threatened by the neighboring countries on the side who want to take over the kingdom of Judah And instead of Ahaz leading his people and trusting in God and saying that we're not going to depend on anyone else but our Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. What he does, is he he asks Assyria, this country that does not believe in God, who actually mocks Israel for believing in, in, in a God. Because they have this mighty army. And this king, instead of trusting in God, what he does, he gives... Tribute. He gives money to Assyria for their protection. In essence, he kind of worships, he gives value to the Assyrians' power. And Isaiah is writing this in a very broken world. Israel is being unfaithful. And just before this passage, God promises to come in judgment. And he's, he says, he describes judgment as chopping down trees in a forest and that's why in verse 1, this, this tree language is used. Verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A shoot from the stump of Jesse. A stump is what? The remnant of a chopped down tree. It's what happens after judgment comes from God. It's seemingly dead. But what's going to come out of it? A shoot, a sprout, a bud, a sign of life. A branch from Jesse's roots shall bear fruit. And by saying Jesse, we, we have to think, who's Jesse? Jesse is the father of King David. If God wanted to make this like this glorious passage, he should have said, this shoot is going to come from the stump of David. But he says, Jesse, why Jesse? There was actually nothing special about Jesse. Jesse actually, Samuel comes to Jesse and looking for a king that God has anointed. And what does Jesse do? He puts all his other sons before Samuel and say, hey, is this the king? Is is this one the king? Is my second one, my third one, my fourth one, my fifth one, sixth, seventh? He doesn't even call David. He's watching the sheep. So when God says a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, it's Grace. God's saying, even without them realizing, without the world knowing what's going to happen, a shoot, a sign of life, hope, is going to come from that line of Jesse. And we also know that King David was promised, his descendants were promised to reign on the throne. So we also know that this shoot is a king. So this is a promised king that is coming sometime. Isaiah is waiting. Isaiah is hoping. Isaiah is hearing this from God and longing for this shoot. So my um, main idea is that a better king, actually the perfect king is coming, has come and will come again. This is my main idea. If you fall asleep, please don't. This is my main idea, okay? It's so important. I had to put it in yellow. (laughs) We have hope today. Because Jesus is the promised king, the perfect king, who will change the world. He will change the world. And I'm going to describe in the remainder of this passage how he's going to change it, what he's going to do, who he is as king. We have hope today because Jesus is the promised and perfect king who will change the world. First, we have hope because Jesus is our righteous judge. Jesus is our righteous judge. In verses 3 and 4, what do we learn about this king that is coming, this shoot from the the line of Jesse, a descendant of David? He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. This promised king is going to treat with perfect justice the broken situations in this world. He's not going to see or give favor to what? The beautiful people get favored in, in in, in our culture? The skilled and talented people? The people with credentials? The rich? This promised king will treat everyone with justice and bring about equality. And he's not going to be dependent upon what what he hears, what he sees with his eyes, but he's going to know. So for us, we struggle with this world that operates on the opposite. The people with power judge by what they see and what they hear, what they notice. We go to work and we're faithful maybe a hundred days. And we make one mistake... Guess what? Our boss is probably going to remember that one mistake. We're in relationships with friends and and others, and we don't get noticed for all the amazing things we do for them. But we, we get noticed when we forget something. We get easily overlooked by people who are more charismatic, maybe. It's just not fair. And what this what knowing that a righteous judge is coming means that we know that our self identity our self worth comes from Jesus this judge is going to declare guilty or innocent this judge is going to declare right from wrong and he's going to do it perfectly you don't have to worry we have hope because of this righteous judge secondly we have hope because Jesus is our mighty warrior Jesus is our mighty warrior, and that's how he's going to change the world. In the second half of verse 4, we learn more about this king. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and the breath of his lips he shall kill the the wicked. The wicked, sorry. (coughs) In Isaiah's time, the rod of a king signified and represented his power and authority. And a king's reputation depended on his ability to defend his kingdom, to defend his people. But this king, this promised king is going to be so different from what Isaiah has seen, what the people in his time have seen, because this king, his rod is his mouth his choice weapon is his words. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. John Calvin, the, the reformer, says, it's as if Isaiah wants to say, that's how powerful this king is. A puff of air from this king and the wicked fall and die. And during Isaiah's time, he was dealing with a situation where The kingdom of Judah felt very powerless. There are all these countries that are wanting to kill, wanting to conquer, wanting to embarrass the kingdom of Judah. And Ahaz should have trusted in God. Trusted in God's words. That God would protect them, that God would provide for them. So... For us, what are some situations where we feel powerless? Some of us are stuck in jobs we hate. Some of us are caught in relationships with people who we don't believe that they'll ever change. Some of us might be even in financial struggles we don't know how to get out of. Others of us might be tangled And it's really stuck in in habitual sin that we can't seem to overcome. We're trapped in our unhealthy thought processes. Do you seek help from this mighty warrior, this warrior who says, with his words, there's power. Do you fight those impossible situations, those powerless situations with his word? Or like Ahaz, do you go to neighboring countries to false hopes, seeking them to save you, to give you power? Do you go to the battle weapon that Jesus has given to us? Later in the New Testament, what happens? God uh, God sends Jesus. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to what? To remember everything he has commanded us. So that we can obey it. Jesus is our mighty warrior who changes the world world through his weapon, the Word of God, and because of this mighty warrior, we can hope in the authority that we share. We are co heirs with him. That power is ours in faith. Lastly, last thing about this king, he's our reigning authority. He is our reigning authority. And because of that, this king is going to change the world. In verses 6 through 9, 6 through 10, things get a little weird. You're talking about this king. He's going to execute justice. He's going to have power. And then it's, it's almost like we went back to Noah's Ark or something. Verse 6, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, the young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. What? what is God talking about? What is he talking about? If you look through all those verses in your Bible, the pairs of animals or the, the trios of animals are predators with their prey. They are bloodthirsty, carnivorous animals with their defenseless food, right? It's dinner. Jesus, or this promised king, I'm saying Jesus because I'm like looking ahead, but in Isaiah's time, this promised king, he's going to have so much power or so much authority in the way he rules that these naturally vicious animals are able to like lie down and grass together with their food. The standard is going to be different. The security of this kingdom is going to look different. There will be no anxiety in these prey. the The best part of this is like the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf, the calf that can't even run. They're gonna is gonna sit next to the lion. And they're not going to be worried. That's how calm, that's how peaceful this rule is going to be, this reign of this king. So, for us, what are the things that give us a lot of insecurity, a lot of anxiety? Is it loneliness? Do we spend our money, time, effort avoiding relational conflict? Is it sickness or discomfort? We don't want to be vulnerable as people. We don't want to be instable. Maybe we guard ourselves against a bad reputation among other people. Or some of us, we're struggling because we feel like we have a weak resume. And we're doing everything in our power to bolster it up, to prove. Because we're so insecure about our futures that we have to make it look the best that it can so that we can make money, live comfortable so that we're, we don't have to worry in the future. Some of us are anxious about our pasts coming out I- into the open. Negative experiences or mistakes from our past. That, ge- that gives us a lot of insecurity, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety. Some of us are scared of death. But this reigning king is telling us that true and lasting security and peace is only found in the promised king. This promised king who goes against the laws of nature. Whether you call yourself a Christian or not, the hope and security that you're really looking for is only found in Jesus. Jesus came 2,000 years ago to declare his place as king not just in heaven but over this world too. And he's going to come again in the future and display his kingship in full. Jesus' reign is unshakable. No predator is going to bring it down. Another part of this reign is that the earth is going to be full of the knowledge of, of the Lord. That's why it's not going to be shaken. Everyone's going to know who God is. Our reigning king will protect his people from danger. And because of that, we can hope in Jesus to protect and sustain us against our insecurities and through our anxieties. So just a couple of applications and just a reminder, we have hope today. Because Jesus is the promised perfect king who's going to change the world. Because he's the righteous judge who's going to take care of the injustices of this world. He's the mighty warrior who's going to fight on your behalf, who's going to give you the power to fight. He's the reigning authority. His way is what's going to happen. When he says it, it's going to happen. And we have to trust it. So three quick applications. We must hope without wavering. And that language, without wavering, is from Hebrews 10. Let us hold on to the confession of hope without wavering. A lot of us, we have trouble hoping because what we want is hope for things that are visible, heard, tangible, just like that, the kings of Isaiah's time. Ahaz trusted in a physical army that could protect the kingdom of Judah. But God's way was for Ahaz to trust in this invisible God to find a way to protect Judah. I recently read a quote that there are no hopeless situations, just people who have lost all hope. There are no hopeless situations, just situations in which people have lost all hope. A lot of us, we don't know how to persevere. We don't know how to just struggle with hope because our culture is one of immediate gratification. When we order food, we want it right now. When we order something online from Amazon, like, oh my gosh, I paid for Prime. Why didn't it come? It's two days, buddy, relax. (laughs) But what about eternal things? Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to persevere? A lot of us don't wait long enough for God to do His work. A lot of us don't trust God enough to notice that He's at work. Secondly, we must hope based on truth. In Hebrews ten twenty three to 25, it says, let us com- com- hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful to his promises. That means Jesus is faithful to come as king, the right king, the perfect king, the king that we need to make our situations right, to make this world a place that it needs to be, that glorifies him. We can't trust in or hope in things that aren't from, from scripture. We, we don't even know how to use that word hope anymore. It's like, oh, hope you have a good week. Okay, so then it's like a coin flip. A bad week, good week. I hope the weather's nice. But even that is something that we feel, something that we try to look up and predict. But based on truth of who Jesus is and what he has done, do you hope in that way? Don't fall into the false and cheap hopes. Satan wants us to do that. And lastly, we must hope with others. We have to. We have to hope with others. In continuing that Hebrews passage, it says, let us hold on to that confession of hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. And then what does it say? It says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Some of you know fellow believers who struggle, who are struggling right now. I know there are people in this room with family members who are sick Who are in bad situations? Do you remind them of that promised king who came 2,000 years ago and is coming again? Do you encourage them to continue in their fight of faith? And all of us, we have to share this hope. We have to share this hope with those who don't have it. There are people in your life who do not know who Jesus is. And they need this hope even if they fight it and reject it. Do you believe in it so much that you're willing, you're okay with getting rejected by them? Because it's the truth and you need to share it. If it's a hope that you live by, then it's got to affect the people that you interact with. Are you being a good steward of your faith? Are you giving reminders of hope to your brothers and sisters sitting right next to you? There are some discouraged, miserable people here. Can we be a reminder of that hope? There are some people who are lost, they don't know where to find hope. Can we point them to this king? the righteous judge, the mighty warrior, the reigning authority. He's going to be perfect. This world is broken, so broken. That kid was so broken at Starbucks. So messed up. But that's a third person removed from me. But what about me? What are the broken things in me that Jesus wants to change? The sin that I struggle with, the relationships that are broken, the work that I don't give over to God? Do you believe that Jesus is committed to changing your world and the world around you? And he wants to do that one heart at a time. Today we have hope because Jesus is not only the promised perfect king who will change the word, he is our promised king, amen? He's our king. He's going to be perfect. And we've got to long for that. We've got to hope in it. We've got to trust in him no matter what is going around next to us in our lives. Today we're going to partake in communion. And this is, a meal for the redeemed. It's it's looking ahead to that, the banquet table that we will join in. When we see Jesus face to face, do you long for that? Do you yearn for that? When the broken things of this world will be redeemed and healed and restored and the new heavens and new earth are going to be experienced. This is a glimpse. So let's bow our heads and reflect on that. How does... Jesus, bring hope to you. He promises to change the world. God's kingdom's coming. He's going to be the righteous judge, the mighty warrior, and the reigning authority. He's going to fix the injustices of this world. He has the power to change those situations. And he's going to declare what's good he's going to declare the standard the way of living that his kingdom's going to be let's reflect on that as we prepare our hearts to partake in this meal